Welcome to the Kindling Podcast. Today's guest is Caitlin Young. She has a best-selling book on Amazon, Unmasking the Greatness Within, where she tells her story about overcoming mental health barriers and going from being a Walmart employee to being a business owner in less than a year and how a llama saved her life. So we're going to have a great conversation with Caitlin today. Welcome. Hi, ladies. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Melissa. I'm so glad to have Caitlin here. I can't wait to get to know you. I know. She's an inspiration. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Caitlin and Melissa, thanks so much for that introduction. Caitlin, Melissa and I are excited to have you on our podcast today because when we think about the Kindling Project and we think about having that fire within and what really motivates us, what drives that flame, what fans it, you really stuck out in our mind because you're younger than us. Do you mind letting us know or telling us how old you are? Yeah, I'm 26 years old. I yeah, just turned 26 March 14th. Okay, so you are a March baby. And so you're definitely younger than Melissa and I, just a few years. Uh-huh. And I have. What, I think what really inspired us is that you, your kindling project, which we looked at as your book, and now being a business owner, really, you got to this kindling project, not just walking in the doors and saying, it's here and I'm going to start and we're good to go. You really had to overcome some real challenges, mental health challenges, and I'm sure other challenges as well to get to where you are. And to do this at a younger age really is inspiring. And so that's what we really want to know about. We want to know some things about you. We want to know how you, where you really started and where you, where it took you. And the great thing is you have so many wonderful things to look forward to. And you really have put yourself on this path of enlightenment in a lot of ways. And so we're excited for you. We really want to support you with that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about when we think about a kindling project, when we think about that fire inside, was it writing a book or what was it for you? So for me to start a little bit earlier than that, to give you the backstory of how it started, I struggle. I have something called borderline personality disorder. And so I did not know that till I was older. It was triggered when I was six when I basically thought my parents didn't love me because of the situation growing up. And um, so I didn't have any kind of flame or anything like that until I was 22. I actually planned on ending my life since I was 16. I planned on basically being done with life. I was completely checked out. Like as soon as I turned 18, I was paying for my own bills. So that way, when I did check out, my parents wouldn't have to worry about anything. And when I was 22, after marrying my husband, I had made a decision to end my life, sent all the letters to people saying goodbye. And at that point, and it wasn't until I was in a mental institute for six weeks on and off that I had that kindling. So what happened was I realized after a bit of faking it to get out of there and then getting put back in, I was putting myself back in and I didn't realize why because I wanted to be done. Why was I putting myself back into this place? And it dawned on me that it's because I had a purpose that was unfulfilled. I'm a kind of a religious person. So I felt that this, if I was not supposed to be here, God would have taken me home already. So this was an affirmation to myself that my mission's not over. 
So that kind of threw me onto this flame of, okay, I need to find my purpose in life. And so I took a year to get my mental health together because it was just messed up, figuring out I had BPD and really just going down this path, working at Walmart and all that and trying to find my purpose. It wasn't until last year when I started an insurance agency that I realized that I could do a little bit more. That really ignited the flame and I knew that my story was meant to be shared to help others get through those hard times. Because the thing is that there's so many people out there that mask themselves. There's so many people that pretend they're fine. There's so many people that will just basically coast through life and then all of a sudden disappear and no one knows why. So I'm as I went through and I had mentors like Chris Whitehead that really just took me by the hand and showed me the way, I realized quickly my purpose in life is to help others unmask their hidden truths within and that inspired me to write my book and so that's where the whole book came from in the kindling project i did the book actually in a weekend basically did it on otter ai spoke it into existence and here we are i'm so proud of you that is such a big overcoming barriers kind of story and i just want to ask how does the llama fit in for sure so I was homeschooled, so I didn't have a lot of friends that lived nearby. I had friends, but they were an hour and a half, two hours away, like not a lot of close friends. And uh, my neighbor had llamas, and when I was 10, I would go up and pet this llama, and we had this soul bond. Now, from the time I was six till when I was 22, I would not tell my parents any issues I had. I would not tell anyone any problems I had because the thing is I honestly believed in the back of my mind that I was the lowest sibling on the sixth sibling totem pole. All because I had stayed at my cousin's house and I got bit in the eye by the dog and they told me my parents didn't want to talk to me at six. And at six, you think, oh my gosh, my parents don't love me, impressionable mind. And that's what threw my mind off for the rest of my life, basically. But the llama comes in because I was able to tell the llama everything because the llama couldn't talk back. And there was times when I'm like, I'm done with life, I'm whatever, and I was just going to end it. And I would go up there and she would lay her head on my shoulder and hum softly and calm me down. She had such a way of knowing who I was and knowing my emotions. We had such a bond that... She knew exactly what I needed when I needed it. And she could relate to me because she also had a rough past. She was born deformed and she had to be straightened out on a table with her legs. And she was scared of people because of that, except me. That's so beautiful. You just unpacked so much right there. Thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable with Melissa and I. Because what you just shared, there's a lot there. There was a lot what you just shared. And the llama, what was the llama's name? Midori. Midori. It's such a testament to the animal-human bond that's possible. Yes. You had free animal therapy every time you went to be by Midori. I want to back up for a moment because I want to help. I want to understand. Because if, if you know me and Melissa knows, I like to really know everything. I like to know the how things get to how they get to really 
you got bit by a dog in the eye. Okay, you were six at the time. Who told you that they don't love you? What, tell me, help me understand what that meant. So the thing that happened was I wanted to call my mom because my mom was not there. It was with my, I was staying at a cousin's house and they said my mom wasn't available. She didn't have time for me is the answer they gave me. But in reality, my mom had no idea what was going on. Okay. As a six-year-old, I didn't know that. I, you believe the adult, you believe what they say. And so I took it as, wow, my mom doesn't have time for me and she knows I'm injured, but she doesn't care. And I'm one of six, so I figured, oh, because I'm the little sibling, right? So the rest of my life till I was like 22, I spent my time trying to prove that I was a good kid. Like I spent my time hiding anything that ever bothered me and basically just masking it and taking on. If my parents got into a fight, I'd be the one to remove my other siblings from the room and tell them stories and stuff like that. I would make up stories about myself to get attention from them. And I'd also make up stories to make them think I was fine because I was no problem, Caitlin. I was just the perfect kid. So that way they didn't have to worry about me because I figured they didn't want to worry about me anyway. And so I just figured it'd be easier if I was that in their mind. Oh, that's an enormous amount of pressure that you put on yourself at such a young age. But I can honestly tell you, I do actually relate to that sort of very early hypersensitivity to things people say. And even at 50, things people said to me at third grade will pop into my mind. And I will realize I am still acting under a premise that's not true and is so old. Like, why is it hanging on? And we can't be the only ones. This has to be You're not. I can tell you that as a therapist. Maybe it happens more to sensitive people. Maybe it happens more to women or maybe it happens equally to all of us. But I really can relate to how one turn of phrase or one misunderstanding can have a whole trajectory in one's life. Yeah. And and you're so right on that, Melissa, especially when you are, then it's not just the sensitivity though. It's There's not those reinforcements around you in the environment that, no, you know what? Mom was, I wasn't home and I wasn't available, but I'm here now and you're safe and I've got you. And I'm not saying that was the case with you, but I do know that it's one thing to be sensitive, but it's another not to have that emotional safety net to be able to fall when you are a sensitive person person to someone to like basically check you at the door and say, no, it's actually okay. I've got you. You've got yourself kind of thing. I'm not Caitlin. Yeah, exactly. With my parents, the thing was my mom didn't want to upset me more than she did, like more than I was. And so she thought, bless her heart, that by not getting upset about it and like making it sounded like she hates my other family and stuff that she was being more caring behind the doors. She was pissed and like calling people and like all that I found out later, but she was trying to keep everything calm. But in my impressionable mind, I was like, wow, there's not even, it's not even a big deal. So it just reinforced like you said, that thought of, wow, I, I guess this is true. And so from that moment on, that's how I saw it. And yeah, it definitely is crazy how something that little can, trigger. Getting bit in the face. When I was little, I was bit 
in the face by a dog, not in the eye, but along the side of my cheek. And it is a big trauma being attacked by an animal. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So Caitlin, you said, it sounds like the ideology is, as we say in the clinician world of suicide was, is a part of your story. Oh, definitely. I, it was more than an idea for me. I tried to act on it three times. I also self-harmed for three, four years. I was a cutter and then I also binge ate heavily. And so I just was self-sabotaging myself to make myself look as ugly as I felt on the inside, on the outside. And what the one time I remember I was 16 and I was in my parents' bathroom about to swallow a bottle of Tylenol. And my little sister, who is only seven, eight at the time, walks in. And she doesn't even remember this, but she walks in to grab something. And that's the only thing that stopped me is that she walked into that room. Another time, I basically was going to just run away and then hang myself. But what stopped me then was the llama and just embracing me. And then the last time was I literally had said goodbye to my family. We went and saw Avengers Endgame. My mom knew something was wrong. She kept asking, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was so good at hiding the truth that I just was like, oh, I'm having an off day, whatever. And I literally had everything planned out. Letters were wrote. The next day, my husband was going to work. I was going to kiss him goodbye. I had the medication I was going to take sitting in the other room, and I was going to lay on the bed with my cats and go. That was the plan. And um, what happened was is I was in that phase of being ecstatic and excited to be done with it, and my husband noticed something was wrong. And so him noticing is what stopped because I ended up opening up to him. I'm so thankful for that man is the most caring, amazing person ever. And uh, he's in tune with me, thank God. (laughs) And he noticed I was off and he wouldn't leave me alone. And he hugged me and that's when I broke. Wow. For the first time, was this the first time it all came out basically of your previous attempts and... Like some of that came out to my parents a little bit because they noticed cuts and stuff like that. Okay. But I never told the full truth. I was so good at lying to myself and to others that I didn't know the full truth anymore. Like there are parts of my life where I still look back. I'm like, okay, what actually happened? Because I got so good at lying. And it was my mechanism to shut it off. And so... When that happened, that's when I started. He got me into the Pine Rest, an institution and stuff. And we just started this process. And that's where I got the diagnosis of borderline. Gosh, that must have been such a relief to be like, okay, wow, this isn't just because of X, Y, and Z, but there's actually a reason now that I can understand how my brain is wired and why I think these things, and why I think this way. Yep, exactly. Wow. Caitlin, you're really inspiring us because mental health, mental wellness, mental checks, you remind me of a person who does die by suicide where families say, everything was always okay. They just paid their bills. They just went to work. They just closed the, and nothing was ever wrong. And it really leaves families in such despair, such desperation, because 
you said you, what did you say? Easy going Caitlin or you were, nothing was ever wrong, right? Yep. Exactly. I was the, not only was I tried to make everything good in my world, but I tried to make things good in my family's world. So I was the peacekeeper. Like my parents are a lot better now about it, but at the time they, they fought a lot and my dad had some anger issues and I would be the one to get in between them and stop them from fighting at 12 years old, 14 years old, and basically take the siblings downstairs, tell them stories and stuff to keep them entertained. And there's still some trauma with my siblings because they still don't know with me, like what was truthful and what was not, because I was so good at lying to myself that I lied to them too. And uh, so that's something I'm still working on is they don't trust me, even though I've done the work, I have to prove to them that that's not who I am anymore and that integrity is a big thing for me now. But you do something for so long, it's hard to show that to someone. It takes a lot of courage and a lot, just a tremendous amount of bravery to be this honest. And I have to say, I really admire it. And I think so many people spend their whole lives trying to get to this level of integrity. And here you are at 26, you're modeling it for all of us. I love that. Thank you. I know. That's how I feel too. Integrity is, and I just want to say also, Caitlin, that you're talking about proving yourself to your parents, but I really want to encourage you to keep, if you keep proving yourself to yourself, everything will fall into place. Living amends is, is part of recovery. And I don't know anything about like with you, if recovery is your story or it's not, but you talked about binge eating and there's definitely themes of cutting. Those are definitely themes of addiction and things like that. But you're, you are doing this by doing living amends is where I'm going with it. That if you keep showing up for yourself, everybody around you will continue to see that you are well and you are okay. And because when we're wanting to prove ourselves to other people, oftentimes we fall short because we think, oh, they're thinking this or they're thinking that. And we don't have any control over that. So I really want to encourage you, Caitlin, to just keep living true to yourself and everything else will fall into place because you're the one that has to wake up in the morning with believing in yourself and knowing that you're okay in that moment. Exactly. And that's something I had to come to terms with. Like I said, I have a little bit of religiousness in me. And so I also believe for me, my value comes from God first, and then I hold on to it. And I found that to be a key is as long as I'm living the life that I know I'm supposed to be living and doing it in integrity, the rest will fall into place. Do you have hesitancy to say you are religious? Cause you said, I'm a little, I have some little religious and cause that's almost like I'm a little bit pregnant or I'm a little bit, because like when you're religious or you have a relationship with God or a lot or a higher power, it's not like a little bit or a tiny bit or a fraction. Tell us about, do you have some, what is, especially if you were homeschooled too, I'm thinking that was a part of it. Yes. So my parents are Catholic and they are wonderful people. My dad's literally becoming a deacon. Awesome stuff. But I am on a road of re-accepting my faith, I would say. I don't know exactly where I'm at in it. Life is a journey. I know I believe in God. I know that I'm definitely Christian, stuff like that. But because religion was so pounded into us, 
growing up and it was almost a judgmental thing to judge people you know that oh they had a baby out of wedlock oh they're LG whatever things like that that when I grew up and stuff I'm like wow I felt like I was condemning people when in reality we each all have sin we each all have our things that we mess up and we're each individually loved by God in my mind and so that's why I say that I don't want to offend someone I let them know hey this is my belief but I don't want to offend people and push it on them and that's why I always say a little bit not that I am a little bit it's I don't want to push something or push my agenda on them because I know what that looks like yeah when religion is used as a hammer or a judgment it's so off-putting it, it really I think does turn people away from faith. I wasn't personally raised with formal religion. And so I'm also like yourself on my own spiritual journey. I don't necessarily identify as a Christian or as a Buddhist or a Hindu or any specific religion, but I would I would also say to people, oh, I'm on a spiritual path or I'm figuring it out. And it's not necessarily a little bit or a lot. It's just loosely defined. I'm still getting to the point where it's really not even necessary for me to articulate how I define it because it's personal. It is. It is. And so, Caitlin, here's a little insider scoop of when you have a few more times around the sun, like your sisters over here do, is that it's not your responsibility whether or not you offend people. Now, of course, if you're like a jerk to people, then of course you want to be like, I'm sorry. But you are not responsible. If you're talking about your relationship with God or religion, if you're being intentionally mean and cruel, that's different. But if it's just you're sharing your truth and speaking with intention, then that's important. And that's what we want to know. That's And that's how I feel. I feel like you're being very honest, very truthful. And so I just want to encourage you to Again, this is about you. And I know I'm really like honing in on some of the therapeutic mental health things in this conversation, but I really feel strongly to share that with you. No, I appreciate it. I know I'm on a journey still. And so any tips are always helpful. I want to know, this is such heavy, important stuff, but I also want to know somewhere in this story of struggle and barriers and growing up, you did start to have that fire or have a little calling or awakening or message from God or the universe that you're here for something important, something bigger. And could you talk a little bit about how that came to you and then how you, that's really our theme here. What was the kindling on that fire? How did you fan that fire? Who showed up for you? I'm very interested in that part of the story. So, It really started last year. I joined another mastermind group with Melissa. Met a lot of entrepreneurs who really had a big impact on me. It was my first like experience and I was in love with it at first. And I did everything possible to grow in it. And I met some, I met a lot of people that helped me along the way, but the overall theme was I would jump in head first with a company and I'd give everything. And I would find out that we weren't aligned or something like that. And I would end up splitting ways with them. And I realized quickly, I didn't fit the mold of being an employee. I didn't fit the mold of what people wanted because I gave more than I was asked. I was a giver. 
And uh, so what happened was I had a conversation last November, a very quick one with a guy named Chris Whitehead. And I just, he radiated integrity. He radiated just most raw and real. And I never had a conversation with someone like him that it was just real. There was no like barrier. He was just going to be real with you. And I knew I needed to be in a conversation with him again. So I joined his thing he had going and there was an option to have a one-on-one conversation with one of the coaches and he was one of them. So I decided to go platinum for that reason, even though I could not afford it. Like I literally spent my last dime plus some, I was like negative 500 in the bank to get that. And I was like, I'm going to have a conversation with this dude. And um, his conversation, he said some things to me that were hard to swallow, but true. And that conversation kindled in me. Like that conversation literally made me think, my story is my message. My mess is my message. And it started that, okay, but how do I do that? I started going to more events, going to all these things. And I go to an event in February with Stacy Radsky and we're doing this breathing exercise. And I've never really stayed still before. I've just gone and I was forced to stay still in that moment. And in that moment, when we're staying still, I basically see raw and real within written in the sand in this vision, basically as I'm sitting there breathing and I'm like, holy cow. Like, and that night I was up till 4 a.m coming up with core values, coming up with all these things for this mission I had in my head. I knew my mission was to help others unmask their greatness and help them step into their raw and real selves and own it, that they can be who they were called to be, even though it's not the mold of the normal business person, mold of the normal person, and step into that and still have a successful life. I love that. I love that. My mess is my message. I love that idea. It's very relatable. Yeah. So that's how it started. I literally, the book was done like February 28th and it got published on my birthday, March 14th. And it was a bestseller within three hours. That just goes to show you how many people can relate to struggle. Yeah, definitely. So that, so Caitlin, this was November of 21. Yep. And you got to know Chris Whitehead at that time. What was taught in there, it's about being still, about breathing, about connecting, connecting to yourself, connecting to your breath and goals and things like that. Not just goals, but there's a lot. But you also resonated with him. And I think that's something, it sounds like he was a mentor to you in a lot of ways. And that's really important to have a mentor, to have somebody that we can really connect with. Even if our lives, we come from very different walks of life. It's incredible how we can connect to someone on a cellular level that you would never put those two together in a room. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like it, the breathing and all that was Stacey Rasky. She does her own thing. She's awesome. But just her clarification, Chris, yeah, it's funny because he did the forward for my book and he put in it like he thought I was just like the pushover wanting to get to the top kind of person because that's usually my age group. We just do whatever. 
And we were polar opposites. We shouldn't have been like the kind of people that connected so easily. And it's funny now because like he, I call him grandpa and tease him all the time and talks back to me. And that's just how it is. Like we both are still connected like that. He's still my mentor and all that. And he's going to be a speaker at my new event and all that it's just funny how those connections that you don't think are going to happen with the people that are least likely I met a lot of wonderful people and you're right there's some really good messaging in there but I agree Chris Whitehead of all the people and the coaches I met he he also resonated with me not to be giving him a plug today but he is a business coach but he is also like you said a very transparent and real person And it just, you feel that energy when you sit next to him that there's just not a lot of bullshit here. And I really appreciated that. And I think that's finding a coach or a mentor or a therapist or a friend or somebody like that. Yes, it can just happen organically, but I think it's important to look at, you sought it out. And for anybody listening that needs to have that kind of coaching or that kind of messaging, sometimes you have to spend your last dollar or sometimes you have to get on a plane and travel from Michigan to Texas. But I would really encourage people to listen to the story that you're telling here. And one of them is seeking, seeking it out, finding the connections and finding the advice that you need or the counsel that you need, because we're not doing this alone. None of us are doing this life alone. And for Amy and I, we're no Chris Whiteheads in the business coaching space, but our mission with the Kindling Project is to provide a little bit of space or energy for people who are seeking each other or seeking affirmation or looking for resources. There's just not enough spaces. I think particularly for women, the community that you and I have been part of, and there's a bunch of them, they're very heavily male-oriented in my experience. And that's great. And for a lot of women, exposure to that masculine energy is useful because it's, huh, why aren't me and my girls doing this? Why don't we have each other's backs like this? There's a lot of male energy positivity, but I do think creating female spaces that are the counterpart to that, I know that's something Amy and I are doing, and I think that maybe that's something you're also thinking about, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that there's definitely a balance there, and like you said, there's not enough spaces like that. And like you said, too, there's a lot of times us women are supposed to make it in a man's world. We're supposed to basically pretend everything's fine, not talk about mental illness, not talk about all the things that women have to deal with that men don't, and but still pretend that we are them. And that's just not how it is. And like with the mental illness part, I was terrified to tell people I had BPD and that I'm on medication for that. I literally fired a therapist for this because they told me BPD means you won't ever do anything better than Walmart. I had a therapist tell me that. And so that's awful. Yeah. And so you get to a point where you're like, as woman and mental health, whatever, you keep being told, oh, you can't do that because you're not a man. Oh, you can't do that because of this. And I say bullshit. The thing is that we are, if not more capable and I think that having a space like you guys do for the Kindling Project is so important. And I think having a space for empowerment is too. Right. And it's not, uh, obviously, because 
we're all unique individuals. We're crafting a unique space. It's a reflection of Amy and I. But there's an infinite amount of kinds of spaces that are going to appeal to women, and we just need more of them, more of all kinds of them, whether they're about business or about creativity or about mental health, about friendship, about wealth. Money is a big topic, a taboo topic for women. We're not supposed to be dependent, but we're not supposed to make our own money. And then if we do make our own money, God forbid we talk about how much money we made, then we're bragging. And so there's so many things like that, that you have so much time ahead of you and you have made such an enormous stride at such a young age. Like it's just, it's gonna be inspiring to watch the stages that you can build. Yeah, we have our first virtual stage coming up. I'm excited. Tell us so, about what kind of content you want to present, like what you think it is that y you're here to share or teach. So me and two people I met came up with a company, Ron Real Empowerment, and our focus is going to be, you know, empowering the Ron Real you. It's going to be basically living in truth being relentless, integrity, being bold and empowered to be who you were called to be. And so that's what we're here to do. We're going to create a coaching program. We're going to do all that because the thing is that, like you said, there's different needs. You guys are concentrating on igniting that fire and that's such an important need. And for me, with my mission being unmasking people, like I just want to help people get to who they truly are. I want them to be okay with being vulnerable and not being judged for it. Having that safe space that they can say, I did all this, blah, 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 and not be judged. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. One of, one of the things that I've done for many years is I teach yoga. And what I would always tell my students is that no one is going to judge you more than yourself. And it's so, we, we think so often, oh, these people are judging me and these things, people think of this and that. But the reality is no one will be our own worst critic other than ourselves, really. We really have to get out of our own way. And by the grace of God, you did get mental health care. And it sounds like you had a good diagnosis that really put you on this path now, this trajectory of, of success. And the thing is, Caitlin, is that we really can't do much if we have such a barrier in front of us because we especially if we're dealing with trauma from decades ago, really. And so I really applaud you for, hopefully you, you fired that therapist that told you that because it's so interesting. And I tell Melissa this all the time. It's hard to find a good therapist. Just like it is, it's hard to find um, a good, what am I trying to say? I, I, uh, anything, a yoga anything. teacher, yes. a graphic designer, Thank you. doctor. Also good is a very subjective word. Sometimes it's just hard to find your match. Yes. Feels yes. to me sometimes like I've been married for 26 years, but the mm. analogy is I'm always dating. I'm always trying to date the next doctor or date the next yoga teacher or date the next client. And you're still constantly kissing a lot of frogs. Like, it, it, they're just not for me. And that is just something that I think that we have this idea that I'm going to go to the doctor and it's a doctor. So they're going to be, a, they're going to be a good doctor. They're going to be the right doctor for me. And sadly, a lot of times, no. And also, Caitlin, that you had that insight to say, this is not a good fit for me. Because unfortunately, I know, especially like maybe a few generations ahead of us, like the, our parents or grandparents, whatever the doctor said, 
is the word of God. They said, don't call them for six months. I'm not going to call them. They said, take this medication, even though it's making me sick, I'm still going to take it because that's what the doctor said. So that's one of the things about your gen, are you Gen Z? I think I'm a millennial. You're like on the young millennial. You're not afraid to say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't really make sense or I don't like how this makes me feel. So really, Caitlin, I just, I want to speak for Melissa and I just for a moment and just say thank you for being vulnerable, for being real with us, for being raw, for sharing your story. And it's interesting because people can look at your book and say, wow, she's got it all together and all this stuff. But you, which you do today, even though you might not always feel it, you're doing it. And one of the things that I tell clients that I work with and not just on a professional level, I tell myself and I tell my friends and whoever will listen is that we have to act as if. So we have to act as if you are a best-selling author. You have to act as if you are okay. You have to act as if you feel safe. You have to act as if you are confident because we want to hardwire that thinking. And that takes discipline. It takes practice. And I am really encouraged and inspired to see how you continue to act as if you have these, these dreams that become a reality for you. And it sounds like you've got a lot of kindling projects in the making, really. Yes, I do. For sure. How are you balancing that? How are you budgeting your time and your energy for that? So I have pretty standard schedule. I always start my day writing affirmations about myself on the mirror in the bathroom. That's like literally how I built my confidence and came out of my holes. I just started, even though I hated myself at first, like I just started writing things I didn't even believe at first every day on that mirror. And then over time, I got excited to go write it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a badass. Uh, You are a badass. uh, (laughs) And, but that actually helped me get my time in order. So my schedule is a little different than like, you hear a lot of people say, oh, the earlier you wake up, the better. So for me, I believe it depends on your lifestyle. For me and my husband, because he works second shift, I want to be able to see him. So I stay up till two, three in the morning, but then I sleep until eight, nine, 10 in the morning. And that's not typical for most people, but for me, it works. So the thing that is, I just time block. I'm like, okay, so from this time to this time, I have this going on from this time to this time. And I'm budgeting it that way. And then I'm also learning to delegate. So I have an amazing VA that just literally takes things from me without even asking is okay let me take that for you okay let me take that for you I don't know where I'd be without Camille Camille's like my lifesaver I tell you <laughs> would you be willing to share with us a little bit about I know so many people including Amy and I are waking up to this idea of a VA but how did you find that person and what was the process like is that something you could share yeah found them through Corey Bayer they have executive VA And I was a little hesitant at first because I've had employees that don't do anything. And then I have people that just don't have the right time that I need. And I got introduced to Camille over a chat and I knew right away she just was the sweetest person ever. And she's actually become more of a best friend than like a, you have the stigma that business owners are like, VAs are over here and they work for me and they do what I say, right? That's not how her and I think this thing is at all. Like for her, it's, this is what we need to get done today. But how are, how is your dog that was sick? How is this? Like you care about them. You show them that you care and then they're willing to care back. 
Is she a is she a direct employee to you or you're paying a service? She is a direct employee now, but she is in the Philippines. So she is an absolute sweetheart though. I just adore her. I have this sort of concern too. I know we're living in a global world, but how do you make sure that you're hiring somebody at a fair rate in another country? Did you look into that process too? So I looked at, I pay her more than most people would pay a VA over there. Most people are like, oh, two, four dollars is fair, which it is like 14, 15 dollars over there. I pay her because I think for the work that she does for me, one, I want to make sure she knows I appreciate it. I'm not going to just pay whatever. I just, for me, I know what it's like to be the minimum wage worker and to be the person that, you know, is thrown crap on and has to deal with it and most of the time they do more work than the boss themselves and so I just I want her to know I value that and because of that she like volunteers her time all the time she's like always on top of it like even when her power was out she would go like walk and be like figuring out how to get on to help me and I wouldn't ask her to but she would because I take care of her yes you're, yep, you're talking to two bosses, so we get it. That's an important lesson for when you're running a business is taking care of the people who work for absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. That's something that, that I miss. Probably one of the things I miss the most about my previous em- employment, I managed two pretty high-level departments. And my employees, I love to take care of them because I'm a caretaker by nature, but meeting their needs before they were even asking for them. And the bottom line too, ladies, is that we want to treat people the way we want to be treated. So we're going to be respectful. We're going to honor them. We're going to take care of them. And then then they have skin in the game because they see, wow, this is someone I care about. This is someone I want to succeed. I'll hitch my cart on the back of this truck because I want to keep going. So that's what we're doing here in the Kindling Project is we hitch our, it's not truck, it's hitch our whatever on the back wagon. Of- Thank you. We're hitching our wagons. And Caitlin, we are inviting you to be a part of our wagon. And we're so, we're so grateful that you spent time with us today. And if nothing else, the big takeaway is that you've out, you've overcome and you do demonstrate and you do walk the walk of integrity, of adversity, of challenges. And Melissa and I can tell you that what, what may have kept you sick in your secrets will become part of your superpower. Knowing that you have survived attempts on your life, knowing that you have overcome mental health challenges, and they sound like there's some pretty pretty significant ones as well. And you continue to, and your story's not over, and just knowing that you can always ask for help. And we are here for you. We're going to cheer for you. We would love to collaborate you with you on a different level at some point. And we're going to be here to help stoke your fire. And uh, however we can do it, we're going to be here for you. So I appreciate that. I wish we could get, I'm very like, what am I, nostalgic and melancholy. And I love to hug. And I wish I could just hug you right now. (laughs) I'm Uh, the same way. So I get it. (laughs) Virtual hug. Where are you? Are you in Ohio? Michigan. Wait, you're in Michigan. Where in Michigan? If you don't mind me. I am in Grand Rapids. Oh, okay. Because when you said Pine Rest, did you say Pine, was it, or Pine Crest? Yeah, Pine Rest. Sorry. Okay. When you said that, I was like, 
There's a place like that in Michigan. I'll tell you just really quick. My niece will be going to Grand Valley in next month. So when I come up to see her, I would love to see you. And I know Melissa's daughter is potentially interested at the university as well. And there's some really great places there. I know our friend Marnie Wolf loves Grand Rapids. There's lots of yummy places there. So we're going to have to come up and give you a hug. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we can have coffee, we can have a hug, and maybe we can put a project together. Maybe we can do an event together. I feel like this is just the beginning for all three of us. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Is there anything you want to, any last things you want to say? I'm just grateful that I was on today and be able to talk to you guys. Yeah, I'm going to be saying this all week. My mess is my message. That's my takeaway from you because that's powerful. Instead of hiding oh, thank it, you. <laughs> just owning it, just owning it. Yeah. 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 As soon as we own it, man, we can get into the solution a lot faster. So thanks for supporting the Kindling Project and thanks for being on today. And reach out to us anytime. Let us know what we can do. Absolutely. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Have a great day. Thank you. you too. Bye, Caitlin. Bye. Bye-bye.